Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome again to Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and we've got a lot of news to cover for you with our entire team of reporters standing by. Drought is expanding in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up. When it comes to wildfires, the Texas Panhandle is one of the most vulnerable regions in the country. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about preparing for that threat as I report from Amarillo. Tropical August turns into transitional September. I'm Tom Nicolotti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. Plus, we'll have news from Washington and a look at the markets, all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Drought is expanding once again in Texas. Jessica Domo reports from Waco. A lack of significant precipitation, high winds, and higher temperatures has dried out more than half of the state. According to the Texas Water Development Board, 57% of Texas is now suffering from moderate or worse drought. That is up nine percentage points from last week. It is the third consecutive week with an increase of seven or more percentage points. Over the last three weeks, almost a quarter of the state has slipped in a drought. Exceptional drought has developed in Presidio and Brewster counties in far west Texas. Drought now covers more of the state than at any time since September of 2018. Texans are encouraged to use caution with anything that could create a spark outdoors as it could start a fire. Don't park vehicles in tall grass and use a spotter if you plan on cutting or welding outdoors. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. And with drought comes wildfires. The Texas Panhandle is very susceptible to wildfires, so being prepared for those fires is a top priority. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. We're going to have fires. That is inevitable. The question is when and how big and how severe. And so every year we need to be thinking about what are we going to do about it. That's Dr. Tim Steffens, a Texas A&M AgriLife Range Specialist and Associate Professor in the Ag Department at West Texas A&M University and someone who frequently counsels ranchers and others on how to prepare for the threat of wildfires. First things first, Dr. Steffens says, concentrate on safeguarding what's important. And that's life and property in that order. Heading the list, Steffens says, make sure you have an evacuation plan. And that plan needs to have a backup plan because a lot of times you think, well, you know what, go out this road and do this and so, and that way is blocked by the fire. And so you need to have, all right, so where do we go if we don't do that? And if you do need to evacuate, know everyone's whereabouts and have an agreed upon destination. If everybody is leaving from different places, you need to have somewhere that you're going to meet where you can make sure everybody made it out all right. Now, when it comes to protecting your homestead... Caliche and gravel are your friend. Keep that area around the houses and the barns and that kind of thing well-maintained, no vegetation, where the continuity of fuel is broken. And as for cattle, if there's a safer place for them to get to, help them, but not at your own risk. Don't be spending a lot of time moving livestock in a fire. That's a good way to die. Just open the gates into that area, and generally livestock will drift away from a fire and generally be pretty well okay. 
Those are some quick tips from Dr. Tim Steffens. You can learn more by searching online for two free AgriLife publications. Those publications are titled Safeguarding Against Wildfire and Wildfire Behavior and Emergency Response. In Amarillo, I'm James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Condition ratings for the nation's cotton crop are falling. Stephanie Ho reports from Washington. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey has the latest look at cotton condition. We see 44% of the national crop rated good to excellent, 28% very poor to poor. Compare that to last week, that is a fairly sharp decline in condition when we were at 46% good to excellent and 25% very poor to poor. He says last year's crop was rated better than this year's. Now, Louisiana, a bit of a focus there because of the high winds and some of the heavy rain. We did see a very large decline in Louisiana. Louisiana cotton rated good to excellent 82% a week ago. Current number is 47%. Louisiana also saw an increase in the very poor-to-poor ratings for cotton. The number one production state, Texas, escaped the impacts, at least in the cotton-growing areas, from Laura, but we continue to see drought in especially the western production areas. 42% of Texas cotton is rated very poor-to-poor, up six points from a week ago. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. And here's a rundown of the cotton crop conditions released in the Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report on Monday. 5% of the Texas cotton crop rated excellent, 24% rated good, 29% rated fair, 18% of the crop in the poor category, with 24% of the Texas cotton crop rated very poor. U.S. farmers are feeling more optimistic as commodity prices rally and agricultural trade prospects improve. Jim Mentert, principal investigator of the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, says farmers' perception of current conditions and their expectation of the future improved last month. This month, farmers became noticeably more optimistic about what's going to take place with ag exports, with 67% saying they expect to see ag exports rise over the next five years. That's up from 55% that felt that way a month ago, and actually takes us relatively close to where we were back when we reached our peak back in February at 72%. That's Jim Mentert, director of Purdue University's Center for Commercial Agriculture. Tropical August has now turned into transitional September. Tom Nicoletti visits with a National Weather Service meteorologist about the active August weather. Today we go to Fort Worth and National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw is our guest. And Tom, we're going to recap August and uh, weather in Texas and uh, along the Gulf Coast. And of course, the big stories are the two hurricanes, uh, Laura and Marco. And uh, Marco made landfall first. And this is quite a historic event. It certainly is, Tom. Good to, good to be with you again. For the first time since 1959, I actually had two tropical systems in the Gulf at the same time. Marco made landfall first early last week. It brushed the uh, mouth of the Mississippi River and then scooted off to the west uh, just offshore Lake Charles before dissipating. It never really got any stronger than tropical storm strength and was not a big big factor for Louisiana or certainly Texas. Laura was obviously a much different story. It made landfalls a Category 4 hurricane uh, south of Lake Charles late last week moved northward through Louisiana and then on into Arkansas, dumped copious amounts of rainfall across Louisiana. We uh, got lesser amounts over the eastern fringe of Texas. We saw anywhere from two to four inches uh, from Texarkana southward to Beaumont and Port Arthur. But fortunately, being on the west side of the storm, 
those counties in far eastern Texas were spared most of the heavier rainfall that fell eastward with Laura. And since then, of course, people are assessing damages uh, both in uh, East Texas and in uh, Western Louisiana as we move into the month of September. And of course, uh, it's still uh, tropical weather season and it's still uh, hot temperatures and rain is needed across Texas. So kind of give us an idea of what uh, uh, you folks are expecting there at at the Weather Service for September. Well, September-wise, um, is usually September is usually a month when you start to make a transition from the hotter temperatures that we, we normally experience to somewhat more reasonable conditions, certainly by the end of the month. We also start seeing a little bit more rainfall. Boy, we could sure use it across the state of Texas. The drought monitor is showing anywhere from D2 to, to D4 uh, drought conditions, exceptional drought conditions across a good part of West Texas, uh, extending eastward all the way to the I-35 corridor. We're seeing... Uh, moderate to severe drought all the way to into the Waco College Station areas. But as far as September is concerned, we are looking at, unfortunately, a little bit drier than normal conditions for the month of September across the state of Texas. We're also looking at somewhat warmer than normal conditions. Big reason for that is that we're actually starting to transition into a La Nina-type pattern with the uh, El, El Nino cycle in the uh, Central Pacific, and that pattern tends to give us somewhat drier falls and winters than what we normally experience. So we're starting to see the, the early signs of that. That's man manifesting with the hot temperatures across the state in August and the warm conditions that we we continue to uh, expect on into September. So not a lot of relief in sight with the possible exception of any tropical systems that we may experience along the coast as we move through the month of September. We were through 13 storms. You know, obviously folks need to stay alert. The season's not over yet. September's actually the peak month of the of the season for tropical activity. That is National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw with us today from Fort Worth. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The boys of summer are back. Despite the COVID-19 setbacks, Major League Baseball games continue. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. But with no fans in the stands to buy peanuts, Texas peanut growers are striking out on a huge market that disappeared overnight. In fact, the entire 2019 crop of Virginia ballpark peanuts is sitting in the dugout. They're already bagged up. They've been cleaned, roasted, salted. They're packaged into bags and ready to go to baseball games. That's Shelly Nutt, executive director of the Texas Peanut Board. She says the Virginia variety is the highest quality peanut grown and it's the most valuable. But without fans enjoying them in the ballparks, those thousands of bags of peanuts will sit on deck waiting for fans to return. But there is one game saver. Texas peanut farmer Otis Johnson grows the Virginia peanuts in West Texas, and he says peanut butter has been a great pinch hitter this year. Around 4.5 million bags of peanuts are sold just for Major League Baseball. We're not going to have that this year, but the good news is peanut butter sales are up 75% from last year. So a lot of the peanuts are going, instead of in the bags, are going in the peanut butter market. And while COVID-19 destroyed the ballpark peanut market, it caused peanut butter sales to skyrocket as consumers stocked up on food supplies. That's exactly right. I think they were having a hard time keeping the shelves full of peanut butter. But there's still the potential for an error. With all those ballpark peanuts sitting in the warehouses, Shelly Nutt says it just doesn't make sense to turn them into peanut butter. 
we can't go back and open all of those packages and dump them out and shell them and make them peanut butter. That would be like taking the highest quality beef cattle around and grinding that for hamburger meat. You can do it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense economically. So the best call right now is for peanut farmers to plan for next season. It may be a safe bet that there will be a lot less Virginia peanuts grown here in Texas in 2021. Prizes for Dove Hunters. I'm Jessica Dommel and we'll discuss the Banded Bird Challenge on Texas Ag Today. Plus, Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at digital dermatitis on dairy farms. Those stories coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Texas dove hunters can win prizes with the Banded Bird Challenge. Jessica Domel tells how. Bagging a dove with an orange band on it could win you one of several prizes this year, including a brand new pickup truck. It is all part of the Texas Dove Hunters Association's annual Banded Bird Challenge. Bobby Thornton, co-founder of the Dove Hunters Association, says hunters who are entered in the challenge and bag a Eurasian colored dove with a special orange band on it are eligible to win. We release 800 every year. Doesn't sound like a big number, but the difference is is the bands do not expire. There's now over 2,100 out there with bands on them. If you harvest any one of those bands, then you win. It's that simple. You don't have to worry about the date expiring or the band expiring. The reason for that is that for the purpose of the research that we are conducting on these birds is that we want to get those birds that were you know, banded maybe three years ago, because that tells us more and more, you know, are they moving to different habitats or are they staying put? Do they like where they're at and they're staying there? Another thing we measure is age. Now, for three years, that's tough to say because we anticipate that these birds live an average of four to five years. This is the third year the association has hosted the challenge to learn more about the invasive Eurasian collared dove. It would help you to determine, is it a species that needs to be managed better? In other words, does government need to come in and take control over when when and how many you can harvest? It gives us a better idea of how are they affecting our native game birds? Uh, are the Eurasians pushing out the morning dove or the white, white wing? A lot of things like that. You can enter on BandedBirdChallenge.com. That's BandedBirdChallenge.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Digital dermatitis is a serious problem on dairy farms. Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Digital dermatitis, also called hairy heel warts, is an incurable disease caused by the infectious organism treponema. The disease is very painful to infected cattle and causes raw, red, oval-shaped lesions on the back of the cow's heel and are commonly seen with cows that have wet and dirty feet. And although the disease is incurable, it can be managed successfully by dealing with incoming heifers correctly. 
Dr. Gerald Kramer from the University of Minnesota indicated that it is possible to control the disease well in the lactation herd, but heifers come in with lesions and can introduce new cases. If heifers have the disease early in life, it is likely the disease will continue to affect the heifer when she enters the milking herd. If the heifers have no interdigital dermatitis pre-calving, about 80% will stay clear in the next lactation. However, if you have just one case in the pre-calving heifers, 50% of those heifers will develop the condition during their first lactation. Dr. Kramer indicates hygiene is critical to decreasing signs of this disease, and the goal is to keep the cow's feet clean and dry. This is not easy in some dairies, but you must remove excess manure in alleyways and use a proper foot bath system. And if you have automatic alley scrapers, make sure they are not operating during herd check when the cows are in headlocks to keep them from standing in manure. Foot baths are essential, but the key is contact time. For this reason, foot baths 12 feet long are recommended to increase contact time between the foot and the disinfectant. Although the disinfectant will not eliminate the disease, it can control symptoms, but make sure you use the appropriate products at the correct concentrations. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cash-fed cattle sales were quiet on Tuesday, but the cattle futures complex continues to climb higher. Plus, we saw triple-digit gains in the cotton market at midday, only to close mixed. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, and grain markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures continue to recover on the board in Chicago. We've seen a slight climb over the last couple of days after a fall off last week. We wrapped up on Tuesday with live cattle trading higher. October up 17 cents, closing at 105.47. December up 17 109.15, the February up 42 cents at 112.75. Feeder cattle futures higher on all except the nearby September. It was down 17, 140.12. October feeders up to 140.65, the November up 15, 141.52. Moving over to the cash markets now, fed cattle so far quiet. No sales reported. Haven't seen very many bids out there either. It looks like we've seen some some early asking prices from the feedlots at 107 on a live basis. Boxed beef mixed today, choice $1.18 higher at 229.13, select 97 lower, 214.35. Let's look at a few feeder cattle auctions that sold on Monday. Live Oak Livestock Auction in Three Rivers, Texas. They sold 1,226 head. The trend was steady to lower. Two to three weight steers bought $1.50 to $1.94. Three to four weights, a dollar thirty-four to a dollar eighty-six. Four to five hundred pound steers, a dollar twenty-four to a dollar seventy-eight a pound. Five to six weight steers, a dollar 
fourteen to a dollar fifty-two. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar eight to a dollar thirty-four, with seven to eight weight steers bringing ninety-two to a dollar twenty-eight. Slaughter cows, thirty-four to sixty-six cents. Slaughter bulls, seventy to eighty-six. Stocker cows, five twenty-five to eleven fifty ahead. Cow-calf pairs, eight twenty-five to twelve seventy-five a pair. Nixon Livestock Commission, Nixon, Texas, sold eighteen hundred seventy-four head. On Monday, the trend there was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought a dollar thirty to a dollar seventy-eight. Three to four weights a dollar eighteen to a dollar eighty-five. Four to five hundred pounders a dollar fifteen to a dollar seventy-eight. Five to six weight steers a dollar nine to a dollar thirty-nine. Six to seven weights a dollar six to a dollar thirty. With the heavy seven to eight weight steers bringing a dollar three to a dollar forty-five a pound. Slaughter cows twenty-five to sixty-eight cents. Slaughter bulls seventy to eighty-eight, stocker cows six seventy-five to twelve ten ahead, and cow calf pairs brought eight seventy-five to fifteen thirty-five a pair. We saw some early optimism in the cotton market at midday. We had triple-digit gains going on, well over a hundred points. However, we lost all of that from midday into the close. The initial optimism in the cotton market seemed to be coming from the USDA Crop Progress Report released Monday afternoon. It showed that overall the nation's cotton crop fell from 46% good to excellent last week to 44% good to excellent this week. As I said, that just wasn't enough, however, to keep the price momentum going. We ended up closing with the October contract up 25 points, 64.66, while December was down two points, finishing at 65.14. Nice gains to report in the Kansas City hard red winter wheat market. September wheat up 13 cents, closing at 483 and a half. December was up 10 and a quarter, 485 and a half. March wheat up nine and three quarters, 496 a bushel. Corn market closing slightly higher. September corn up a penny, 349 and a half. December corn up a quarter cent, 358 a bushel. In the energy markets, natural gas lower, crude oil higher. October natural gas down 11 cents, 251. October crude oil up 23, 42.84 a barrel. Well, that is a look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back here tomorrow bringing you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.